you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter number 8, really chapter 9, and we're just going to catch the last verse of chapter 8, Revelation chapter number 9. Speed on where we're at in the book of Revelation, we've had a couple weeks off, and, uh, and then we're going to catch this chapter, and then we're going to have the month of March off as far as missions goes, and so we will not get back to Revelation uh, until April, and then we got Easter right away, so uh, we'll probably cover Revelation even that, that week, but uh, uh, just saying we, we'll have a little bit of a extended time that we'll be away from the book of Revelation, but um, Revelation chapter number 9, Before I let's go ahead and read our text, and, uh, and then I'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the message and where we're at and all of that. So Revelation 8, 13, we'll start with just the verse prior to uh, chapter 9. The Bible says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded unto them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Let's stop right there. And uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be able to study the Word of God. And Father, I pray that you'd use me as we look into the book of Revelation. God, I pray that you would give us understanding minds and understanding hearts to be able to, uh, to know, Father, your Word and, uh, and have a, a better grasp of end times. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Just a reminder of where we are in the book of Revelation because we have had that break and uh, the first three chapters we covered extensively, they cover the messages to the churches and, uh, and certainly uh, some that have laid out time periods of how those would play out and uh, I don't deny that there's the idea of that by any stretch, uh, but I also believe that there are messages that are relevant for our churches today. Uh, and so we looked at all of those, and uh, certainly churches today are tormented. Certainly churches today are like the La Laodicean, and they're uh, not walking with God as they should be. And, and so there's all those different uh, areas that or stages, perhaps we could say, that a church may find itself. Uh, and then we come to Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, we believe uh, that the rapture takes place. Uh, and, and it happens right at the beginning. If you notice, there's the mention of the trumpet. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. Matter of fact, I love the way the Bible lays it out uh, because he does open the book dealing with churches. 
And then after chapter 4, or really right in the beginning of chapter 4 and going forward, we don't find the church mentioned any further throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. And I can say amen to that uh, because I'm glad I don't want to be here uh, during the tribulation period. And so the church is raptured out. Those who are, let me rephrase that to say, those who are saved and those who are born again uh, will be pulled out of here. And that's a, that's a blessing. And so uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, then after that, describes a scene in heaven. It's a wonderful scene uh, where gathered around the throne, they are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, uh, we have that same scene again, uh, a, a great phenomenal worship service that is taking place in heaven. And, uh, and, and after that, uh, that book uh, that is sealed. And, uh, and, and the, John cried, he said, he wept because no man was worthy to open the book. And so uh, then finally, they, uh, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tri tribe of Judah, was given the book and found worthy to open the book. And, uh, and so that all takes place in chapter 5. In chapter 6, uh, we see those seals begin to open up. And, uh, and as they open up, uh, we have those, uh, those horses that are, are released uh, with those seals. And, uh, and we've talked about those. And in chapter 6, um, it describes six of the seals being opened with great destruction taking place on the earth. And, uh, and that's, of course, the start of that tribulation period, I believe, uh, that, that takes place there. And chapter 7 is a parenthetical statement. We talked about that, uh, describing a scene that takes place on earth, and there's two groups of people that are described, the 144,000 that are very clearly laid out for us as Jewish people, and then there's another group as well that is described there in chapter 7, and that's just, kind of, I think, to give us a basis for who these people are and, uh, and where they fit into everything. Then Revelation chapter 8 uh, that we covered a couple weeks ago, uh, it opens up and that seventh seal uh, is finally opened. And at the opening of the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets, seven angels with trumpets who are, are ready to sound. And last, uh, last time we were in the book of Revelations, we covered uh, four of those trumpets and, uh, and how they laid out and, and what, was, what they pertained to. And again, we saw destruction taking place on the earth. And again, I say praise the Lord uh, that, that I don't plan on being here. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, then look with me here in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 13. We started there because I want to point this out. The Bible says in Revelation 8, 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And, uh, and I found this very fascinating in verse 13 there. We have the three woes and each woe is then associated with the next trumpet sound. If you notice there in verse number one, and the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven uh, given unto the earth and unto him was given the keys of the bottomless pit. He does not mention the woe there, uh, but, but that is the first woe, the next trumpet, that is the sixth, fifth trumpet that sounds. Look with me in verse 12. 
He says, One woe is past. That was that fifth trumpet. And, in, and behold, there cometh two woes more hereafter. And then he goes into verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded, and that would be the second woe. Uh, and then we do not see that third woe uh, until Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 14. And it says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly, and the seventh angel sounded. And, uh, and so we're uh, just kind of laying the foundation for all of these woes that are about to take place. And uh, that was not associated with the first uh, four trumpets that sounded. And so I just find that fascinating uh, that he labels them as a woe, woe, woe. And, uh, and a woe being not a wow, but oh my. Uh, with the amount of destruction that's going to take place and the things that will follow here on the earth. And, uh, and so as we look at this, um, we're just going to look at chapter 9 this evening and cover those two woes. And uh, we find the sounding of that fifth trumpet. Uh, and we have trumpets of torture and trumpets of death that we'll look at tonight. So boy, that, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Uh, not, not to me. I mean, uh, but again, I'm, gl I'm glad uh, that, hey, we're, we're not here for this. Uh, look with me in verse number 1 and 2. I want you to see this. And the fifth angel sounded, and I, saw, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit." I want you to notice this, uh, that, that in chapter 9, verse 1 there, it says that there was given the key of the bottomless pit. And if you remember, uh, who was it that had the key to the bottomless pit? It's Jesus Christ. Uh, you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and death. And, uh, and so I just want you to notice that Jesus Christ is the controller of the keys. He's not that angel that was fallen that was given uh, those keys to the bottomless pit, uh, but, but he is the one that's in control of them. And, uh, and I want you to notice that uh, he gives those keys, he allows. And I spell that out, why? To, for you to understand that the tribulation period is not just mass chaos that is taking place on the earth. It, from man's perspective, it may seem like that uh, because it's not going to be a pretty sight. It is going to be uh, very chaotic and very, uh, very, very hard to go through. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that God is in control of all those judgments. And he's the one that is allowing and saying, OK, now the time has come. Here's the key. Go loose the bottom pit or the bottomless pit. And so he is the one that maintains the control throughout the entire tribulation period. And I just want you to understand that. Uh, I want you to understand this. As we look at this idea of the bottomless pit, um, there's some interesting aspects to it. One is that it's locked as a prison with limited entry and exit. Uh, in other words, you don't just go and come and go as you please uh, in the place called hell. Uh, you don't have a choice about that matter. You are locked. And even uh, for that matter, these creatures that are released that we will look at, uh, they are locked in that bottomless pit. 
And um, look with me here. Uh, it's interesting because the Bible says, uh, you can just note this down, Isaiah 14 and 15. Uh, it, it says, uh, it's talking, it's in reference to Lucifer. If you remember Isaiah chapter number 14, he sa uh, Lucifer says, I will ascend up into heaven. I will make my throne greater than, uh, uh, than God's. And, and, and he is exalting himself above God. And God said he's going to be cast down. And he says this in verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And, uh, and as we think about that idea of hell, uh, just a couple of references uh, or a couple of I thoughts that we have here. One is that it's a bottomless pit. Uh, I found that very fascinating. I've grown up in church, I've heard preachers preach about hell, and I've heard you know, them reference the idea that, uh, that it will be a continual falling feeling. Uh, well, if it's a bottomless pit, I tell you what, there's nothing solid for them to stand on. There's no ground. And if there's no ground, then you just feel like you're in air all the time, which would give you the feeling and the idea like your fault. There's nothing solid. Boy, I read that and I thought, man, it, it, it really gave a, a lot of substantiality to the psalmist when he said, thou hast planted my feet on solid ground. Boy, as a Christian, hey, we've got some solid ground to stand on. And we don't have a fear or a worry uh, of having that feeling of no ground underneath our feet. Uh, but these people that are in hell, they're in a bottomless pit. There's nothing firm. There's nothing underneath of them. Not only that, but I want you to notice this. The Bible says in verse number two, and he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit. And he says, as the smoke of a great furnace. Now the first part, there is 100% for sure smoke that fills uh, the bottomless pit. And then he describes it as a furnace uh, that, that, and we might have a hard time con, um, con, uh, imagining that. Uh, because we don't really, you know, your furnace runs in your house. There better not be smoke coming out of your furnace, okay? If there is... Call a, call a HVAC guy because that's not right. Uh, you, don't, you ought not have smoke coming out of your furnace. But in Bible times, they would stoke those furnaces and, uh, and it would create a fire. And if you have fire, there is smoke. There's undoubtedly smoke. And, uh, and so he gives the idea so that they would understand, hey, there is a lot of smoke. And when the, when, when the, uh, the gate of hell is opened and, uh, and that bottomless pit and, and the smoke is released, he says it's a large amount. Now, I was thinking about smoke being in hell, and I thought, boy, you know, smoke, there's, they say when you have a fire that most of the damage is smoke damage. Uh, it's, you know, even if you have a small contained fire, the fact of the smell of the smoke, the damage of the smoke, the pollutants of the smoke get everywhere through the house. And uh, if, you, if you ever sat around a campfire, I've had plenty of campfires and, uh, and you know, the smoke starts blowing your way. What do you do, man? You get up your seat and you move. You're like, man, I'm not doing that. And then what happens at all? If you're like me, it shifts my way and I'm the smoke attractant. And I don't know why it works like that, but it does. And you don't want to be in there. Why? Because, man, it stings your eyes. You can't breathe. Uh, if you have enough smoke, it's all dark. 
And, and so could you imagine being in a bottomless pit? There's nothing firm. It's dark. There's, they cannot see things because uh, that smoke is just going to cloud uh, their, their vision and make it unclear. Uh, then the burning and just that, uh, that, that idea of not being able to breathe uh, is just a terrible thing. And the Bible says, we're talking about the, the fifth angel that sounded and how he unloosed that, uh, that angel to open up that uh, bottomless pit. And, uh, and, and notice in, let's go back to, to Revelation 6 and verse number 12, because that's close, we can look at it. <clears throat> and the Bible says, And I beheld, and he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Go with me to Revelation 8 and verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now go back with me to uh, chapter 9 and verse number 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And so there's this darkness, and this darkness has already taken place once uh, in, in 612, and then again in, in chapter 8 in verse number 12, and, and so we have yet another occurrence uh, when, when just, boy, the sun goes dark. And, and I tell you what, there's, I've, there's just something odd when you're standing out and, and I, this picture is not going to be anything like the, the tribulation because it's, it's far worse than the tribulation. Uh, and I don't know, maybe they may have a sunny day. I don't know. You ever been standing outside in a sunny day and I mean, you're doing something and, and all of a sudden it gets dark. I mean, it just gets dark. And you look up, and man, the clouds are rolling. You didn't even realize they were rolling. I mean, it just covers the sun, and, and it gets dark. Uh, and I could just imagine uh, the, the darkness being even worse than the cloud cover because smoke tends to just block out even more. And so uh, there's this darkness that falls over the earth. And, uh, and so we see the, the loosing uh, of this, of this uh, bottomless pit now, I want you to notice the limitations that are placed on the locusts. Look with me in verse 4. Well, go with me in verse 3. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So I want you to notice, let's look at the limitations of these locusts as these locusts uh, come out of the smoke uh, that has come out of the bottomless pit. And, uh, and what's their limitations? Well, first and foremost, in verse 4, we see that they're not, uh, not going to destroy the grass, the trees, and anything green. Now, if you know anything about locusts, that's what they do. Uh, and so uh, you, you're saying, preacher, what are these? Well, I don't know. Uh, it's very possible we don't have them on earth. You notice they're locked in the bottomless pit. And when that's unlocked and when that's loose, they come out into the smoke. And, and then they're released in, in, on the earth. And so it's very possible we don't have them on the earth right now. Uh, it's very possible that they're locked in hell right now. 
uh, and not able to get out. And so uh, these are not any ordinary locusts. They're not going to destroy the grain uh, like normal locusts would do. They're limited in that capacity. By the way, with all of the things that have taken place, greenery is going to be hard to come by anyways in the tribulation. I mean, all the destruction that has already taken place, it's going to take its toll. And, uh, and I just don't think there's going to be much green that is here. And so they're limited on, that, uh, on the greenery. Uh, notice in verse 4 as well that they're limited, uh, not only the greenery, but they're limited to God's servants. They're not to touch God's servants. Uh, notice with me, go back to Revelation chapter 7. In verse 3, we see those, in, in chapter 9 and verse 4, we see the seal of God in their foreheads. We find that in Revelation 7 and verse 3. You remember the angel was released and, and he was begging for time. He said in verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so uh, these are those, those children of Israel, those hundred and forty-four thousand that have had a seal placed on their forehead, and that the locusts uh, are not going to bother those servants of God. Uh, but all the rest of the people, they're going to bother. And, uh, and we'll get to that. But I want you to notice that they're limited not to touch green things. They're not to touch God's servants. And then I want you to notice that they're limited to grief as well. Look with me in verse number 5. He says, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their uh, torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, I've never been bit by a scorpion, and I'm not aiming to anytime soon. We did have scorpions in Peru, and I've seen my fair share of scorpions, but I, I know plum enough to stay away from uh, things with stingers and, and uh, adders with teeth and things like that. I stay away from those things. And, uh, but I do know this, that the scorpions, they tell me, is, is, a, is a terrible sting. I mean, it's painful. Uh, and it just hurts throughout your body. And, and so the idea here is that they will sting man, uh, but they will not kill man. And so uh, they're going to be they're going to be begging for relief. Matter of fact, we see a little bit later uh, that they're actually going to be begging to die, but they can't die. And, uh, and so they're limited in this capacity. And I find it interesting that there's a five-month span uh, that these locusts are, are free to roam the earth and torture man and bite man uh, and just sting him. And uh, boy, I, I just couldn't imagine. Um, one time when I was little, I'll tell you a story really quick. One time when I was little, my, uh, we lived in, down in New Mexico and we had fire ants. And I hated fire ants. I don't know why I hated fire ants, but I just did. They're bad. They're evil. Anything that can bite like that and is that small and hurt needs to die. So I, I, I was little. I didn't even know enough, but I waged war on the fire ants on our property. I said, there's not going to be any fire ants on this property. And so, man, I, uh, and, and I, must, I must have been little. I don't know how old I was. Five, six, I don't know. And I got the most powerful stuff I could get my hands on. I think it was a glass of water and some dish soap. That was all I could find. 
God, and I mixed it up, man, them fire ants are going to die. And I go out to their hole, and man, I, I poured it down their hole. I'm like, I'm killing them boogers. And, and, uh, and I'm watching because they're coming out, and I'm backing up. Well, little, little, my little brother, who was smaller and younger than me, was standing right there, and he didn't back up. I guess I probably should have warned him. And, uh, and man, he got bit and bit and bit, and he commenced a screaming and a crying. I got so much trouble for, for trying to, to kill off the fire ants. And, and he, he, he was, his whole leg was all swollen up because he got bit so many times. Could you imagine these scorpions not just biting once, but biting and biting, and man, the next day you get bit again, and then the following day you get bit again, and, and these things, these not scorpions, but locusts that are, that are out, boy, they're just torturing mankind. And, uh, and man, that, that'll wear on your nerves when you're in pain and you're just suffering like they are, and, uh, and so it's just going to be a terrible, uh, terrible time. And, uh, and they cannot kill people. And then they're also limited by time. There's only five months uh, that they're allowed to roam the earth and to cause the grief that they're causing. And, uh, and so we see their limitations. Notice with me in, in verse 3, we read that. But then verses 7 down through 10, it, it really gives us a description of these locusts. Look with me in verse number 7. And the shapes of the locusts. Now I want to draw your attention to this word, are like unto, you notice, horses prepared unto battle. Whenever you see the words like unto and as it were, which are used quite frequently, they're descriptions. He is not saying that these are locusts that are horses, okay? That's his best description that he can come up with uh, to describe for you what they look like. So uh, with that in mind, let's read these. He says, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lion. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle." And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And so we notice this whole description that he gives there. And uh, all the likes and as that are, that are describing, and um, I'm not sure... Uh, Again, that these exist here on the earth. I don't know that we could equate them and say, well, based on this description, it's this or that. Uh, I've also heard a lot of people say, well, maybe they're, uh, maybe they're a mechanical helicopter or we have drones nowadays or uh, I don't know. Uh, I just know what we're given here in the Bible. Uh, he describes them with all these animal-like characteristics and the ability to hurt mankind. And so that I do know uh, what it could be. Your imagination could run wild. Who knows? We don't really have a, a clear picture of, of exactly what they are. Uh, but we do have a description here that gives us all these. So they have bodies, perhaps like horses, that are, that are ready for battle. In other words, they're adorned with their armor and, and they have all of those things. Their head uh, is the appearance of a gold crown that's kind of on it. Maybe it's a gold color. Maybe it's pointed at the top. Uh, again, we, we're not for sure. Their faces... Uh, 
uh, are, are like faces of men. Uh, and I take that and look at that and say, well, maybe they have uh, hair that grows off their faces. Uh, bearded men. It would not be uncommon in Bible times for men to have beards. Uh, and notice this, that he says, uh, heads of hair like women. And so maybe they have long hair off the top. Maybe they have hair coming off their face and, and just kind of a crazy uh, thing that we're looking at. And, um, and then teeth like lions. You go through all of it and kind of imagine what they look like. And, and if you're artistic, maybe you could draw that out uh, just as our imagination. But we're, you know, again, uh, you say, well, what are these creatures? And again, I, I don't know. Um, but I'll tell you this, it, we're not limited to what we have here on earth. If God wanted to create them uh, in the time of tribulation, in the smoke, then he very well could do that. And so I don't want to limit to God, to what, what's here on earth and uh, what these creatures are. Uh, but I feel like they're released from the bottomless pit and they're allowed to, we know that they're allowed to roam the earth and torture mankind uh, for five months. And so we see the locusts. I want you to notice this as well. In verse number 11, that they have a leader. And the Bible says there in verse number 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollon. Apollon. And I probably didn't pronounce either one of those right. Let me just stop and mention this about names. Uh, the, the Hebrew there, Abdon, and Greek, Apollyon, uh, means destroyer. And I just take it to mean likely the devil himself. Uh, I find it interesting because they do call him the king uh, of the bottomless pit. And, uh, and so that kind of would fit my description of the devil. Uh, and I find it interesting. But as you think about languages, I always found this fascinating because I enjoy languages. But I found it fascinating that names translate very differently. And, uh, and so here's a good example. Um, the, the name Daniel in English to Spanish translate as Daniel. It's pretty easy. Not too hard. Same letters. You can look at it and say, oh, I recognize that. But if you take the name William in English, it translates to Guillermo in Spanish. Whoa, that's totally different. Yeah, it is. It took me a long time to even associate those two names because they're, they're so different. And so I don't know why uh, it gives us the name in, in Hebrew. I don't know why it gives us the name in Greek, perhaps, because they are different. Uh, but, but names carry over differently uh, in other languages. And so perhaps for that reason, uh, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but, uh, but we just know that this is the king uh, of those, those uh, locusts that are released and really the king of the bottomless pit. And uh, again, there's not much more given about him, uh, but I feel like and I believe that that would be Satan himself as the king of the bottomless pit. And he's released uh, on this earth. And, uh, and boy, just given kind of free reign, uh, I'm sure there's limitations placed on him that God would limit him. But it's interesting that he is loosed <clears throat> and he's in charge uh, of those, uh, those locusts that are let loose. Look with me at verse number 12, and we'll continue on to the sixth woe, or the, the second woe, the sixth trumpet. 
He says, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. We're just going to cover the next woe. Verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which are prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of horsemen were 200,000,000. And I heard the number of them. Let's just stop right there for a moment and, uh, and think about these angels, that fifth trumpet. Uh, it's fascinating because the, uh, the, the call goes out in heaven. And, uh, and from the altar that's, that sets before God, from those four horns, the four corners of that altar, uh, there's this call out saying, loose the four angels which are in the great Euphrates. And uh, boy, you can look up the Euphrates. The first occurrence of Euphrates River is in Genesis very early on. And it has a lot of history all throughout uh, the Bible and all of that. And, and I don't know uh, all of the significance of the Euphrates River being tied into this. But it's apparent that there are some uh, angels, at least, that are uh, bound in that Euphrates River. And, uh, and they're going to be loosed at this time. And I want you to notice that control. Uh, again, they're bound until God says the time and says, hey, go ahead and loose them until the orders come from heaven uh, to loose those angels. And, uh, and they're bound there in that river. Uh, it's very interesting to think this, that here on this earth, there are destructive forces. These angels are to destroy men. They're to kill people. And here they are bound up in the Euphrates River under God's binding saying, now's not the time. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. And, and it just kind of blows my mind at the spiritual battle that takes place that we're totally unaware of. I mean, we, you know, we just don't even know some of the forces that are at work and how God has bound and withheld. I mean, you remember the book of Job and how uh, the devil was limited and God, God said, okay, you can, you can touch my servant Job, but don't take his life. He said, first, don't take his health either. And, and so he was very limited on what he could do. And we see and, and understand the very control of God on all of these things. And so we see these angels of destruction that are uh, they're going to be loose. Notice with me in verse number 15, the agenda. I find it very interesting here. The Bible says, The four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. I want you to notice that God has a timeline. And everything is marching on time. And God's got it down to the wire. He doesn't even need an Apple Watch or an Android Watch uh, or a little, little notification saying, hey, now it's time to release the angels. He's got it all written down and not written down in his mind, perfectly aligned for the time down to the very hour of when those angels would be released. And what I'm saying is you can marvel at how awesome our God is. I mean, he's in control, complete control. 
and, and he's noting the time and he knows when uh, they're going to be released. And, uh, and so we see that agenda. I also want to mention this because the Bible says there the number of them were 200,000. So I took my pen and I wrote 200 down. And then I wrote comma and thousand, that would be three zeros. And I put a comma and another thousand, three zeros and, and, uh, and, and double checked myself and triple checked myself so I wouldn't get it wrong. And, uh, and it's 200 million. Boy, that's a, that's a huge army. And they're being released uh, to kill uh, on the earth. That's what the Bible says. And, uh, and so we see them coming. Notice in verse 17 down through 19, there's a description of this army. Uh, and he says there in verse 17, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses, again, note the, were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouth issued fire and smoke and brimstone. I want you to notice that that was issued out of their mouth. It was not a like or as. It was issued, uh, the, the fire, smoke, and brimstone. And verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And boy, you see quite a destructive army. And, uh, and they're busy killing people with fire and with brimstone and with smoke. And, and listen, this is not the first time that people have died of brimstone. Uh, matter of fact, in, in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 24, the Bible says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And so there's a judgment of God there uh, that is taking place. And it's a precursor pointing forward even to the judgment of God. And, and these are a devilish kind of creature that assemble. And, and the third part of the earth is going to be wiped out. We don't, we don't know what the population of the earth is going to be at that time. We've, we've talked about, I've speculated in the past, uh, you know, we have roughly 8 billion people in the world today. And, and before we saw, I can't remember now if it was a quarter or a third of them were wiped out. And we kind of ran those numbers just to give us a rough idea. But it's not accurate because, you know, people will be born, people will be died, people that are saved will be gone. And, and so the, it's really hard to come up with a definitive number. But I do want you to see this. Uh, I, I was thinking about these third part that would be killed. That's 33% of the population. That's a large percentage, whatever the population is going to be. Just to help you uh, have a, an, a rough idea of that, uh, I've read that World War II was the deadliest, deadliest military conflict uh, in which roughly 70 to 85 million people died. That's a lot of people. Now note this, that was only 3% of the population at that time. Wow. That kind of gives you an idea of how many people are going to die in the tribulation period. And I'm just saying, it, it is, it is a, a horrendous time to be alive. And, and these people, it gets worse because let's, let's go on to verse 20 and let's see the aftermath of what takes place, okay? So we've had, we've had these, um, these, these locusts that have been torturing men for five months, and now we find uh, this, this, this um, 
releasing of an army of some two million uh, or 200 million, excuse me, that are roaming the earth, that are killing people. And we find, well, what would you think would be the effect? Man, I think people would be looking for God. But look at what happens in verse number 20. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. You see man just hardening in his heart and saying, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to, seek a little more after my idols. And I'm going uh, to endear myself more to the, uh, the wickedness that is in, in this world. And, and just the hardness of man in the, in the tribulation period. They're not seeking after God. They're unrepentant. They're, they're not interested in God. Uh, their heart is completely turned from God. And, uh, and so uh, some, some people would advocate that the church would go through the tribulation. I find that very, in these verses, I find it hard to find the church, to be honest with you. Uh, because those sealed 144,000 Jews are protected. All the rest are being tortured. And then they're being 33% of them are going to die. And then the, the ones that are left, the rest of the men, they're unrepentant and not seeking after God. And so uh, what you have is a very dismal, bleak, dark scene of what is taking place on the earth with God's judgment falling. And, uh, and so it's just kind of a, a fascinating uh, thing to look at. And, uh, and again, as a Christian, I say, man, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I hold to uh, that, hey, that trumpet will sound. We'll be out of here. And I hope you're ready for that trumpet. I pray and, and hope. I, I do not want anybody to go through that. Uh, I, you, you may not even make it to that point, to be honest, because the quarter of the population or whatever it was is, is wiped out prior to that. And, and, so you're, and then war and then all the disease and all of the other things that are going on. Boy, it's going to be uh, just a horrendous time. And, uh, and again, uh, I, I say thank God uh, for my salvation. And, uh, and I look forward, I tell you what, that'll make you look forward to the trumpet and say, boy, I, I want to hear that trumpet and I want to see the Lord and, and I'm looking forward to going to heaven. What a glorious scene. We'll be in heaven worshiping around the throne of God. And, uh, and so I hope and pray that that helps you at least get a, a little understanding of the book of Revelation as we continue to work our way through it. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the control, for the power, for the wisdom, for who you are. And God, the fact that you hold all of these things at bay, and you've allowed time for grace to be spread on the earth right now. What a marvelous God you are. And God, may we stand in awe of your power, your wisdom, and your ability. And God, I pray that if there's one person that does not know you as their own personal Savior, that they'd get that nailed down. God, that they would put their faith and trust in you for salvation. 
God, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Again, may we as Christians be so ever grateful for the great grace that you've extended to us in salvation. And God, may we look forward to the trumpet of God sounding and, and being reunited with you. God, I pray that you'd bless, strengthen, and encourage each and every believer that's here tonight. God, thank you for a glimpse of what is going to take place in the future. And God, I pray again that you'd help us to have clear understanding of that. And again, we thank you for that. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank God for who he is and his great control and his great power. Maybe you want to pray for somebody else that maybe doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, I don't know the Lord, but I, I sure want to. Why don't you step out? We'll have a, if you're a man, we'll have a man take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady show you how you can know for sure. Because that's the most important thing, that we're prepared for all of eternity.